Bow your heads with me a moment. Lord, we do come to you. Thank you that you welcome us. You delight to see us. Coming to you, our Father, and bearing our hearts to you. Making ourselves an open book to you. For you to come and write on the pages of our minds and our hearts. And in so doing, redirect our lives. You know where we are right now, Lord. You know what we're dealing with. And you know that we hardly know which way to turn. So in the complexities of our life, Lord, and our feelings about it, we do come into your presence. Please, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, we are studying together these Sundays throughout Lent on what it means to pray under the title of Seeking Deeper Intimacy with God. Prayer is our privilege not just to read words or to somehow take the Lord's Prayer, for instance, and run through it, but to be able to speak to God face to face, heart to heart, and in that speaking, share our lives and in our waiting upon him, hear what he has to say to us. It's amazing that the God of this universe of ours welcomes us and that we can have a personal, intimate relationship with him so that when Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, for instance, it begins, Father. It begins with an expression of intimacy. The word Abba in the original language, the word that Jesus would have used for our Father, Abba, Father, is the language of the children as they would talk to their dads, call out to their dad, Dad, Abba, Father. So Jesus, in teaching us to pray, teaches us first about a personal and intimate relationship. So when we come to Jesus in the first place and ask him to take up residence in our lives so that by his spirit we're made a new creation, we're actually born again into the family of God so that we can call him not just father in the sense that he's the grand creator of everything, but in the personal and intimate sense in which he has adopted us into his family brought us into his family. The scriptures in the Bible actually teaches that we are co-heirs, joint heirs, with Jesus of all that the Father has in store for him. So we've got a, a radically rich inheritance awaiting us in heaven. It's all there. But it's because we have this personal and intimate relationship with God as a father that between here and arriving 
to pick up our inheritance. We have this personal relationship with him by which we can share our lives with him. And he speak to us and direct us and encourage us and be a dad to us. And it's in that context that we are coming to that phrase in the Lord's Prayer where it says, give us this day our daily bread. To come and ask him to supply our needs to make it through the day. I have a man that I can now call my friend, but when I first heard him preaching, last year it was, I heard him. He was a visiting preacher down at Ocean Reef, a club in uh, Key Largo where I was the chaplain. And as a visiting speaker, he said to the rest of us, which was something of a shock to me, that he had been through radically deep despair and discouragement so depressed that there were times when all he could, uh, could say was this, good morning, God. This is your day. I am your child. Show me the way. I immediately etched that in my memory. Good morning, God. This is your day. I am your child. Show me the way. Get me through the day. And God welcomes us. And this man now is not going through those deep moments of despair and discouragement that we call depression. God has lifted him out of that, but God also got him through it. Whatever it is you're going through, whether it's a broken heart, a broken relationship, illness, career, displacement, bills you don't know how you're going to pay, there is a Heavenly Father. And you can come and share each need you have in your life, both small and big. That passage that was read for us, I'll direct you to it. Open up your service sheet that you received when you came in. Go to page 6. You saw this spelled out on the, uh, the screen as it was read. But you've also got it in the, the service sheet in front of you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. So they are called Philippians. This is the letter to the Philippians. And he's writing to them. But you would barely credit what he went through when he was in Philippi. And here he is saying to the people there who knew what he'd been through. He'd been so beaten and lashed and thrown then into prison with his back bleeding and Silas alongside him. And God miraculously delivered them from the prison and the prison guard gets converted. And he becomes a believer in Jesus. And Paul baptizes him. Now he writes this letter. And he says, rejoice not in getting beaten, not in bad circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. Do you see what it says there? No matter what the circumstances, in the Lord 
we can rejoice in him. It's not that we're some kind of sadist or masochist, that we like bad news and hard things and then we get happy. Rejoice in the Lord, but then look at what it goes on to say. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You see what follows. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. To be anxious about nothing. In that section where Paul is writing to the Philippians, he goes on to say some other things here that we're going to leave behind. But what we have just seen is a, really a command not to be anxious, not to worry. When I was first ordained and I was a young chap living in uh, Bristol, England, uh, they made arrangements for me to live with this elderly widow who cooked for me, did my clothes. I don't know if she made my bed, but she certainly washed the, and laundered it. And she took care of me. But in her kitchen, she had a plaque with a religious statement on it. This is what it said. Why pray when you can worry? Reverse psychology. Never forgotten it. That's etched, that's etched in my memory. Why pray when you can worry? What's it really saying? Stop worrying. If you're praying, what's the point of worrying? Trust the Lord. You're bringing it to him. You can lay it out before him. Everything, not just the big stuff. I know all of us, when it's the big stuff, when we find out whether we've got cancer or lost our job or our kids are on drugs or whatever it is, we say, where do I go? I know I talk to God. But with all the little stuff as well, the little stuff that makes up the big stuff, all the little stuff along the way, which makes up most of our lives. Our lives are mostly little stuff, not big stuff. You can't get intimate. Maybe we give it a shot in a hurry. But with all the little stuff, if we're sharing that with God along the way, our little happinesses, the things we're grateful for, pleasant turns of events, something beautiful we see. I mean, I've been thanking the Lord ever since that wedding I mentioned to you. The family, by the way, are Tim and Amy Zephyro. I married them X number of years ago. I mean, I've got a picture of them as a young couple coming down the aisle after they'd gotten married. Their daughter, Hannah, got married yesterday to a guy by the name of Johnny. An Irishman, so he is. But how fantastic. I've been thanking God for the, the whole scene just so phenomenal. It's just here and there along the way in those moments when we can talk to God personally that we can experience intimacy 
Not just when everything falls apart and we're desperate and we're screaming out, help, help, help. But a living, ongoing relationship, and that's all the little stuff. Let me give you an example. Somebody made it possible for me and my wife to go and spend time with our kids, four of them, in Switzerland. That's not bad. We had a place to stay. And our daughters, our first-born daughters, were teenagers, young teenagers, still in high school. And when we arrived, we got our stuff out, got settled in, and took a long walk that evening. Huge Alps around us, down a beautiful green valley. It was in the summer. Alongside a river that was running through the valley. Just a gravel path, hardly anybody walking along on it. Past an old farmhouse with bikes on the side of it. I I remember thinking to myself, We couldn't leave bikes like that unlocked in America. We have to sort of padlock everything. Just laying out there. So as I'm walking along, we make our way all the way around and then back down the other side of these meadows to where we were staying. As we get to the hotel, Carrie-Anne, our firstborn daughter, who had borrowed earrings from 18 months later, Chelsea, Chelsea was about all the accessories, hats, scarves. She's the artist, flamboyant, earrings. Carrie-Anne had borrowed earrings. Now, you've got to get this. Those girls fought every morning before school about who was going to wear what and who had worn what so that now this other sister couldn't wear it because they went to the same school. We'd wish we recorded it, actually. It would be really fun to listen to. You'd think they were killing each other down there in the bedroom. So now, Carrie-Anne comes up and says, I have lost one of the earrings. Sure enough, she's got an earring in one ear, but not the other. I said, well, where do you think you lost it? She said, while we were walking out around here. I said, then we're going to get up first thing in the morning and go find it. Because what I was imagining was, what a start to a vacation. Because there would be hell to pay for losing that ring, that that earring. I thought, "I, I don't want that. I don't want that. Lord. So Carrie and I get up first thing, and we walk that same walk all the way out, about a mile or so, circled over the the fields, came back down underneath the mountains, back to town. No earring. Carrie-Anne says, I'm going back to bed. I'll take the heat. Well, she wasn't going to be the only one who took the heat, I tell you. So I then said, I'm standing all by myself in this valley. And I say, Lord... This is now between me and you. And I talked to him this frankly. I said, where is that earring? Where is it? And in my mind, 
I got a picture of that farmhouse and that gravel path running by it, the bikes lying alongside it. And I said, is that where it is, Lord? And I didn't get any booming voice echoing down the valley, but I just got the conviction that's where I should go look. So it's about a mile out again. I go, still very early in the morning. And I walk up and down outside that house three or four times. And what do you think I saw? Right on the edge of the gravel in the grass, one earring. I pick it up, and I've got the whole valley to myself. And I shout out, Thank you, Father! Thank you, thank you, Father! You do care about my vacation. You do care about us. One earring. I've never forgotten that earring. I should have had it gold-plated and hung in a framed picture. Why was the earring so important? Because God showed me his son John that he did care. Now, I don't get all the answers, yes, and this is where it is all the time. Sometimes it's no, flat out no. Sometimes it's wait, later. But God always answers one way or another. It's not like he's deaf or he doesn't care. You don't give your kids everything they ask for. And you don't always give it to them immediately they ask. And you'd ruin them if you did. And God's not about to ruin us and be some sort of eternal cash register sending money to us. Some kind of uh, ATM that just keeps giving, 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 giving. It's a personal relationship. He knows you, his child. When to say yes, when to say no, when to say wait. I'll tell you this. Some of the best and most spectacular areas and memories of my life developed out of God saying no. In fact, I can mark my life by all the disappointments, radical, painful disappointments, by which God redirected my life and the consequences were spectacular. Not just okay, spectacular. This church is one of them. And the people who founded this church and called me to be its first pastor opened up a doorway for me that if I would have had my way, I'd still be pastoring a church somewhere else. But that somewhere else was no. And I was heartbroken. But with that no came another invitation. And this church was born and birthed. I tell you, Kathy and I praise God every time we think of it for the no. Because look at what the yes is. 
Look at what God's done here. And we love you. We love this place. We are thrilled to be back. But it was preceded by a very painful no. Let me tell you another instance where I got a no that was absolutely radically, radically, extraordinarily life-changing for not just me, but a whole lot of other people here in Pittsburgh. I was working for an organization down in the city that brought me to Pittsburgh, and my job was to work with college students. I arrived with a band, rock and roll band, a hairy, ugly group of us, and we traveled around and did concerts at the university campuses. In fact, yesterday, walking from Heinz Chapel where the wedding was, I looked at the front of the student union where I first played with my band in Pittsburgh on what was Greek week and all the stuff that was going on there at Pitt. We set up our speakers and started performing and preached the gospel. Guy got converted, went into the ministry. That ministry grew as we went away, around in the summers, took students with us, a couple of guys who'd graduated wanted to come and work with us, and the work was expanding, so I wanted to hire those two guys and have them come on staff and work with me and the band in this growing college ministry. And I came back to my boss at that organization, and he said no, that I couldn't hire these two guys. Well, as far as I was concerned, they were the first two guys of many more that we needed to hire. And with that no was born another organization called the Coalition for Christian Outreach, CCO. Today, they've got a staff of about 150 working in all the college campuses within about a 150-mile radius of Pittsburgh and now further. And their recruiter of students who are looking to go into some kind of student ministry when they graduate, worships with us here at Christ Church. But that all began with a no. But now, by the thousands, students are being ministered to in a much larger area. I was deeply disappointed in the first place. But to see what God has achieved since then is nothing more than breathtaking. Because of a no. So you bring everything to him. And I have found that the no's, which are the deep disappointments, become very, very wonderful, extraordinary yeses somewhere down the road. One other thing. Give us this day our daily bread. The scriptures are bread to us. Actually, the scriptures say of themselves that they are sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Give us our daily bread. We encourage you to be daily in the scriptures and to read them because God prepares your heart and mind in the reading of scriptures for whatever the day may hold for you and to give you direction. 
Not to say go shop in this supermarket or get your gas in this gas station. But God so conditions our minds and our hearts in reading his word that we're sensitive to his leading. I got that teaching from my wife when she was but a girl I was hoping to date. And we were on a student mission together at the beach in Rehoboth. And we were sitting together in a Bible study and one of the students asked the question, and I wasn't leading this gang. I was just part of it. But somebody asked the question, how does God lead you from reading his word? Kathy answered in that conversation. She was actually sitting down the other end of a porch from me. And I hadn't made any moves on her. No holding hands, no talking, anything. I wanted to check her out and see if she was the real deal. So I met her in Colorado. I asked her to come and do this thing at the beach in Rehoboth. I was looking for a wife who'd be as in love with the Lord as I was. And little Kathy, sitting down the other end of the, the porch, said, it's not that when you read the Bible, God says, shop here, go there. But in reading the scriptures, he so conditions your heart and your mind that you are sensitive to God's leading. For me, that sealed the deal. I mean, I couldn't have given that answer. I thought, there's more to this girl than a pretty face. And that's the way it turned out, too. We encourage you to be about your daily bread in the Word of God. You've got stuff going on. I made the decision to come and be the first pastor of Christ Church at Grove Farm, reading Scripture. Psalm 57. That's the Heinz, H.J. Heinz, Psalm 57. Verse 10, where it said, my heart is fixed, O oh God, my heart is fixed. And as I read that, Kathy and I were praying and fasting about which way to turn. It was as if God said, fix your heart on Christ church. Be in the word of God and let it nourish you and direct you and prepare you and direct you via those preparations of your heart and mind. Sometimes you get clear directives because God is commanding us to go be his disciples, to go be his witnesses, to live our lives for him. By the way, those uh, classes that Pastor Jared was speaking of that we're hosting for the whole city, and they're expecting, I don't know how many hundreds of people to be here. I know we've crowded 1,600 people in this sanctuary. But I'm expecting at least 300 of Christchurch people to sign up for those courses. This isn't like a half a dozen of you or a dozen of you or maybe 20 turn up. So we're going to keep promoting that come that set of classes. And you've got the brochure right in the your hands there. And the Wednesday nights that we're going to have those classes here, right here in the sanctuary, with hundreds of other Christians from around the city preparing 
for the Franklin Graham Festival of Hope. You sign up for that. Get those dates in your calendar now and plan to be with us. God has commanded us to go be his witnesses. And this will be an extra preparation for us and an inspiration. Why don't you bow your heads with me right now? What I'm going to do is ask you to pray with me the Lord's Prayer again. And in praying it this time, think of one person in your life who needs help. Just one person. As you see that person in your mind's eye, as we pray the Lord's Prayer, pray it with them in mind. So when you say, Our Father, say, Be Daddy to that person. Hallowed be thy name. May your name be hallowed in that person. Your will be done in that person's life as on earth. You understand how we're praying the prayer. So you see that person. Now you pray very deliberately for that person with me in the praying of the Lord's Prayer as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.